Now, to start the story, I'm going to talk to you about a, a Russian folk tale. It's uh, uh, the Russian peasantry had actually a curious tradition. It's that an old woman, the babushka, can you say that? Babushka? Now you just learned a Russian word today. Okay. Was at work in her house when the wise men from the east passed on their way to find the Christ child. It's a true story. But it's a folk tale. Come with us, they said. We have seen his star in the east and go to worship him. Well, I will come, but not now, she answered. I have my house set in order. And when this is done, then I will follow and find it. But I first got to get my house in order. When her work was done, the three kings had passed on their way across the desert, and the star shone no more in the darkness. She never did see the Christ child, and she is living and searching for him still. For his sake, she takes care of all his children. Is she who in Russian and Italian houses is believed to fill the stockings and dress the tree on Christmas morning? The children are wakened by the cry of, Behold the babushka! And spring up hoping to see her before she vanishes out the window. She fancies the tradition goes that in each poor little one whom she warms and feeds, she may find the Christ child whom she neglected ages ago, but is doomed to eternal disappointments. So goes the Russian folktale. It was Russian. I'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verse 1. Here's the actual story. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we see a star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star they had seen when it rose went before them, until came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going to the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. The story of the Magi, who have come to us from afar to worship the baby Jesus, uh, is a familiar one, and yet every time I read it, I'm amazed and come away with a sense of uh, wonderment and amazement. Uh, the wonder is because of certain factors. There, of course, is the wonder of incarnation, God come in the flesh to rescue us. It amazes me in every account of Christ coming to earth that he came and put himself in a human body to rescue us. In addition, there are three occasions of wonder and amazement in our text. First, I'm appalled by the irrational jealousy of Herod the Great toward the infant born in an obscure village called Bethlehem. And I'm horrified by the cunning cruelty of Herod, who is willing to kill all the infants in the vicinity of Bethlehem in order to eliminate the threat of one child, as seen in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2, 16 to 18. Secondly, there's the wonder of the Magi, 
who searched for the one born king of the Jews, compelled him to travel from a far off country to worship the foreign king who was still in its mother's arms. How's the search? It's prompted by a star that God has placed in the sky to alert them to the fact there's a king coming. The Magi searched diligently for the child to present gifts and to worship him. Herod is interested in finding a child too so he can kill him because he doesn't want Jesus. He doesn't want him at all. And yet nobody in Jerusalem is willing to travel five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to check out the child. They're indifferent. They could care less. The passage of Scripture has much to say about our response to Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world. Those three responses that I delineated are still true today. There's some people who still search for Christ. There's some who hate Christ, want nothing to do with Him. And there's some that just plain are indifferent to the fact that Jesus Christ came. But how we respond to that has eternal implications. You know, Matthew's account of the Magi leave a lot to be desired. There's a lot that we really don't know about them. And most of our thinking upon them is based on wonderful Christmas cards, which tend to be more imagination than reality. These wise men come from the east and come to Jerusalem in search of the Christ child, the King of the Jews. They travel a great distance to find the Lord. Their journey must have been in the neighborhood of about two years that they had actually traveled to get to see this baby. They left their homes, families, and comforts to journey to a strange land in search of a king. The purpose of their journey was very clear. They were there. They wanted to worship the king of kings. And God had placed a star to guide them to that so they could find Christ. Today, we have Muslims who are coming to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And how's that happening? What's spurring them on? Well, God is speaking through dreams and through visions to people in Muslim countries. And they're seeing the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's drawing them to try to search who Christ is. God still uses that. The Magi were men who were interested in astronomy. They studied the stars. And God arranged a star to signal to them a very significant birth, the birth of Jesus Christ. Who did this? God did. Why? Because this was important. Wouldn't Christmas be wonderful if everyone were interested in seeking Jesus? But really, how many people really seek after Christ today? We get the impression from this passage that the Magi, upon arriving in Jerusalem, started asking where the Messiah was to be located. In Matthew 2, 2, it said, they said this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star, and it rose, and we have come to worship him. Stir up all Jerusalem. Three wise men in their, in their entourage, and they're asking, Where is Messiah? We've seen his star. We're coming to see him. But nobody in Jerusalem had a cotton-picking clue. No idea. If God had guided them there, surely God's people must have a greater awareness of his birth. Because the people in Jerusalem, they had the scriptures. They went to the synagogue on a regular basis. They were supposed to know the word, and they had no idea whatsoever. We in North America have the God's word. Everywhere you go, you can get a Bible. You go to the motels, you get Bibles. You can go on TV, you can read, you can hear preachers preach the word. You go on radio, you can go pop, you can go everywhere, and still people really don't give a rip about Jesus. They don't search for him. The Magi must have thought it strange when their questions about Messiah were met with bewildered, puzzled looks. What? Huh? 
the zeal of their search, their quest for the Messiah, caught the Jewish people off guard. And yet they were God's chosen people. And again, without a clue. How could foreigners know about Messiah being born in Jerusalem and Jerusalem, the people of God, totally clueless? Matthew 2, verse 36, when Herod, the king heard this, he was troubled. He thought it was a threat to his rulership. And all Jerusalem with him, and assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, and he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. And they told him, oh, by the way, we searched the scriptures, and it says, Bethlehem of Judea, for so it's written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The scribes, the Pharisees, they knew. But they didn't know the appointed time. They knew, but they didn't know the time. So Herod becomes aware of the Magi's search, causes them great consternation. He calls together the chief priests to ascertain the place where it's going to really take place. They tell him. This is a meticulous process. Perhaps he actually quizzed each one of these scribes and Pharisees to make sure. Are you really sure? Yeah, yeah, we've read it. Here's what it says. The birthplace. It's Bethlehem. It's unanimous. And now all you need to know, what's the age of the child? Because this was a threat to him being in leadership. See, if Herod could kill his own wife, which he did, kill his own children relatives, which he did, uh, the murder of children would be no issue to him whatsoever. So Herod calls the Magi, feigns the desire, yeah, I want to worship him too, can you uh, check it out for me? Tell me where the home of the child is. He secretly meets with them and supplies them with the name of the town, Bethlehem, where the Messiah can be found. So Herod serves as the instrument of God in providing direction to the Magi as to how to find Jesus. It's interesting how God can use those in leadership and to lead people. In Matthew 2, verses 9 and 10, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. As the wise men renewed their search, the star led them to the house where Jesus was. God had hung a star in heaven to announce Christ had come. This was his way of announcing to the world, Jesus has come. This was to be no ordinary birth. This was the Son of God, the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the Savior of the world. He lived a life of humility, but all of heaven declared his birth. There was no mistake, the king had come. It says, and after going into the house, they saw the child with Mary's mother, in verses 11 and 12, and fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. I've tried to imagine the joy and splendor they felt as they came into the house. After all their searching, they'd found the king. And it says, and they immediately fell and worshipped him. Now the baby at this point was not just a little baby, because how long did it take them to get there? Two years. So the baby was anywhere between one and two years old. So I'm going to destroy something else in your minds. So often you see a little infant baby in the manger. The wise men are there. The shepherds are there. That's all wrong. You can just burn those Christmas cards because they're not accurate. I've got a little grandson that's two years old. 
and he rips and tears around the place and does all kinds of things and give him food and he just eats, eats, eats. So Jesus wasn't just a little babe at this point. Sorry to wreck your picture. And they came and they see Joseph married with a baby. And he was still a baby at this point. And they spend time with him. And they worship him. They expected him to be a little older, but this was the king. Do you remember the joy you felt when you first met Jesus Christ as your Savior? The experience of hearing the fact that you not only needed Christ as your Savior, but you finally you bowed the knee, you prayed. No matter, There was a certain situation in your life where you got to that point in your life and you realized, I need Christ, and you said, you know what? and you prayed to receive Christ. That was an awesome, awesome event in your life, and it changed your life forever. I suppose that is similar to what they felt. Christmas should remind us of the precious gift we receive in Christ. It's His birthday, but we're the ones that got the gift. Hear that? It's His birthday, but we're the ones that got the gift. And oh, what a gift. And... With that, I'm going to ask Justin because I'm, you know, when it talks about when we're talking about new life in Christ, I said, Justin, I want to interview you. Uh, you got the mic there? Oh, Trevor's got the mic. And I uh, just wanted to, to talk to Justin this morning and ask him to share his testimony a little bit with us as to new new life in Christ. That's what it's all about. So, Justin, what was your life like before you became a Christian? Uh, say it wasn't a very good one. Um, I didn't lead a very honest life. Um, my wife actually told me if she would have met me around the time that we're 12 years between us, and if she, we would have been closer at age, she said there's no way she would have ended up with me. Um, that was and, very encouraging, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, small examples, I come here when I was probably about 14 years old to this church, actually, and during a Sunday service, opened the doors and threw firecrackers in here and ran away. And like 20 years later, I'm serving the Lord in this church. Actually, there's some Sundays I might need you to do that again when they're kind of, you know, it's a little restless in here. Just, just let me know. Yeah, okay, okay. So so what is it, Justin, that prompted you to want to receive Christ? Because you said my life wasn't really going the right way, like throwing firecracks in the church, lighting fires. Yeah. Um, well, I was raised in church. Um, my parents planted the seed as a young age, as a young child, and... I had a fallout with my pastor at that church when I was about 17 and walked away from God. And he never let go because he sent me my wife, and she's the one that basically um, brought me back to the Lord. So how did you come to the Lord? So you, you said you met your wife, and she's the one that kind of kind of brought you back. Uh, tell us a little more of your story. Um, well, we were both raised in church, and we both knew we weren't living a a very faithful life and we decided when our daughter Madison was born that we were going to seek God and start attending church. Uh, it's actually it was January if I'm not mistaken it was February right after Christmas we woke up one morning and I grabbed Landon and I think he was probably four or five years old and I had my second oldest daughter Sydney with me and I said come on guys we're gonna go to church. And they both looked, well, more so Sydney looked at me and goes, what? And we walked out the door, and there's three churches right on my street. But the Lord led me to this one. 
and Chantel and I discussed that we were going to visit a few churches, but the Lord kept us here. Um, we were welcomed with very, um, very much open arms. I've been shunned for the way I look at other churches, and the way we were accepted in this church, we knew that this was home. Okay. So then, I would have been Pastor Tim Jupp, correct? So when did he present the gospel to you, and how did you respond? Um, Chantel and I were, well, more so myself. I was still very on the defensive. I had my walls up. Um, it took about seven years of Pastor Tim and chiseling away at it that I've really understood that this is the way that life needs to be, that um, we are to be more Christ-like. And he was, um, he and a few of the deacons were very, very patient with me. Okay. And so when did you actually pray to receive Christ? I would say it was... Um, 2015 that I actually decided that it was um, I felt the Lord's presence in my heart and he started opening my eyes realizing that the more I served the Lord the more he blessed me okay and um, to feel his presence was um, something I just couldn't describe okay so now that you've put your faith in Christ what's changed <laughs> and what's continuing to change everything Everything. Um, I was struggling financially. Um, I didn't have my license. I wasn't living, leaving a very um, dedicated life. And the more I realized over time, the more I gave, the more he gave. Mm -hmm. And life just seemed it was becoming more. The materialistic side of it did never change, but the Lord changed me and how I dealt with it. It was, uh, it's just something that just fills me up. I feel loved. I feel blessed to be able to do all of these things. And, and the wife even gets upset with me at times because I just keep going and going and going. And I could be here seven days a week working. And it's just a blessing. I love being in this church. I love all of my family members. Um, the Lord's given me all of you as a gift to, for my service. And I will continue to serve you. And thank you very much for sharing, Justin. God bless you. When God gets a hold of a life, amen? And we pray that God will continue to get a hold of lives as we search and seek after Christ. What's the significance of the spiritual, of the gifts that were given to the Jesus at that point? Uh, he was given gifts of gold. That speaks of his deity, the fact that he is God. The only God in the Father, God in the flesh. The frankincense was used by the priests on the altar. It speaks of our great high priest and intercessor. The mirror was obtained from a thorny tree and was used primarily for embalming the dead. It speaks of the sacrifice that Christ would make on the cross. Christmas is a special time for the believer. It's beyond what we can comprehend that Jesus would leave the glory of heaven and come down to earth to give his life for you and I. It's amazing that he came at all. And we need to continue to worship Christ even in this Christmas season. But you look at the three responses of the Magi, Herod the Great and Jerusalem. They typify the response of people to the cross today of Christ. 
throughout history, there have been those who, like the Magi, have sought the Messiah, and then they found him. There have been those who in Jerusalem are indifferent, no matter whether the truth is at their fingertips or not. As you share Christ with people around you, there are people that will respond, yeah, yeah, I, I need that. And there's other people that will just be plain indifferent. And there's other people that will be belligerent, angry, and don't want to even hear about it. Everybody has different responses. And yet, yet, as we look at this, we are commended in uh, Matthew 6, uh, verse 33. It says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, oftentimes we think that seeking God is just a one-time thing. You're wrong. What it, the idea is that we would continue to seek after God every single day of our lives. And the idea there is that in seeking after God is that, you know, we sing that song, Lord, I want to know you. Remember that one? And the idea is that it should be our heart's desire to want to know Christ in a greater way every single day of our lives. See, without Christ, there would be no Christmas. Christmas is over for this year. But I pray that the Spirit of God will have spoken to your heart and that you will continue to seek after Christ even after Christmas is over and all the decorations come down. And my desire is that we as a body of believers here at Lighthouse will continue to seek after God every single day of our lives. The wise men sought after him and they found him. The people in Jerusalem have thought about that. Five miles could have been there. But they didn't bother. They were indifferent. Herod hated him, wanted to kill him off, didn't want anything to do with him because he was a threat. Today, people are still threatened by Christ and his claims as to what he wants to do in their lives. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you again for your word to our hearts. Lord, thank you for the testimony we heard from Justin today. Thank you, Lord, that you use this church, this body of believers. And some that are even here today that to impact his life and make such a change not only in his own life, Lord, but in the life of his family and his wife and his children. We continue to pray, Lord, that you would, through your word in this church that we call Lighthouse, continue to impact the lives and hearts of people in this community and uh, throughout this county we call Essex. Lord, bless your church, we pray, for we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.